Hello there, and thanks for tuning in to the Corporate Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Zuzak, and this podcast is your dedicated time for growth, for developing practical tools to use with your team and in your relationships, and to learning deeply about who you are and what makes you tick. You are a brilliant and powerful being, and I want you to invest time reflecting on who you are being, not just what you are doing. Because doing is awesome, but being, being is where the magic happens. And that's truly what makes you feel fulfilled. So you're going to love this episode today on creating intimacy with your team offsite by creating a designed alliance. And so here's a look at what you're going to learn today. In the first segment, I share a story of why this is such an important tool to use at your offsite and what can go horribly wrong if you don't use it. In the second segment, I'll share what exactly a designed alliance is and how it works. In the third segment, I'll share the five-step process to create one with your team. And then in the last segment, I'm going to explain exactly what you want to build into your designed alliance. So get out of your head, into your heart, and let's dive right in, shall we? So I wanted to create this episode for you because we are in the peak of offsite season right now. And as a facilitator, I have so many resources and tools that I've developed over the years. And this one that I'm going to teach you today is in particular very simple yet very, very valuable. I personally use it at every single offsite that I run, and it has never, ever let me down. But before I dive into sharing it with you, I want to tell a story about a time when it wasn't used and the dumpster fire that ensued without it. If I had to name this story, it would be titled, Here's Everything Not to Do at Your Next Team Offsite. So let me back up and set the tone here. So we're going to rewind way back to about 2010 when I was working in my last company as director of marketing, my last full-time job before becoming a coach. And our CEO wanted to organize a team offsite for the senior leadership team, which he did at least, you know, once a year. And I'm always surprised how teams function without doing these offsites. They are so critical to get to know each other and plan for the year. And I want to start by saying I'm so grateful for all the experiences that I had in this last full-time role. It was the last full-time gig that I had before I became a coach and set up my own business. And this was such a transformative chapter in my life, and I learned so much in England in those three years. I learned about the culture. I learned about doing business globally, and I also learned a ton about myself. Now, as head of marketing, I got to organize some really cool events. I got to organize client events, spending time with gold medal Olympian sailors and also having big, splashy launch parties in the smack dab in the center of the city of London with big cocktail parties at the top of the Gherkin building. We took clients into Cow Sailing Week in the Isle of Wight for a big VIP day on a 72-foot yacht. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. This was real. This was my life. We also went to high-performance car racing luxury days on the track. Like, no expense was spared. It was amazing. 
So my employer was an enterprise level software company. So we had pretty deep pockets and it was my job to make sure that everybody had the best of the best. It was a good life. I'm not going to lie. So aside from all these splashy client events that we did, we also did the best of the best for team building events with our employees and our senior leadership team. And I really valued and appreciated this time being able to have dedicated time with peers to bond and to learn about them. Now, the specific event that I wanted to share with you today was an event that was a Navy simulation exercise for team bonding. And it was hosted by Britain's Royal Navy. Hands down, I have to say this was one of the most unique events of my life. I would give it a 12 out of 10. The gist of the event is that it was a simulated experience where we in our ship made contact with the enemy ship and we started to take on water and we had to work together to prevent our ship from sinking in the middle of the ocean. And so the day started out with a debrief from like legit real naval officers. They walked us through the exercise. They gave us training. They would explain how the simulation worked and what to expect. And as I scanned the room, I could see that mm, about half of my teammates were excited and they were ready to go. And the other half had the fear of God on their face. But either way, it was go time. We had committed. We were there. So we got ourselves dressed up head to toe in hazmat suits and made our way across the platform and into this simulation ship. Now, at this point, the joking, the uh, name calling, all the fun playing around of the morning started to dissipate once we suited up. And as we say, you know, things started to get real. And we were literally minutes away from this whole simulation experience going down. We were each immersed in our own thoughts, whether they be fear or excitement. And we were suited up in our steel-toed boots. We walked down the vertical metal graded staircase onto the bridge of the simulation ship. And we must have looked like the team of Ghostbusters heading out on a reconnaissance mission, but we didn't have plasma guns or souped-up Ghostbuster car, and our suits were bright pylon orange, zipped head to toe to protect us from this freezing cold water that was about to be shod onto the ship. The simulation exercise started out okay. You know, the siren went off like they had warned us it would, and this represented us making contact with the enemy ship. And slowly, the cold water started to trickle its way onto the bridge. It was just a little bit of water, but we were totally prepared for this, right? We'd paid attention and just been through the training. Then, things dialed up a bit, and the emergency siren went off. And the lights went out. And the slow, trickling water started to come in faster. And before we knew it, we were waist-high in freezing cold water. mission, whether we chose to accept it or not, was to hammer wooden shimmies into the ship to stop the water from coming in. And because the water was so deep, the actual team development aspect was to hold your partner under the deep cold water and give them enough pressure to be able to hammer these wedges into the spots where the water was coming in. 
And somehow, you were just logically supposed to know when they were done and how much force to use so that they could come back up to the surface. They told us what to do in the training, but they didn't tell us how to do it. Needless to say, it was an emotionally charged, high-stress, and really intense experience. Probably took overall about 15 minutes, I would say, but it felt like forever. Then once the exercise was over, we you know, stood in the freezing cold, waist-high water, took the requisite picture to prove what we had actually just done and survived, and we took off from this unique team experience. We finished the day with a nice splashy lunch, you know, some good wine to warm up. And this was the point where we started to reflect and dissect the experience. So even though most of us were able to laugh it off, something happened in that freezing cold water that day. Fear took over. People lost their cool during that simulation. And I don't blame them, really. I personally have a penchant for extreme experiences. I love it, so I enjoyed it. But I'll be the first to confess, they're not for everyone. I know that the relationship that I had with the colleague that I was partnered up with was never the same again. He hadn't expected to melt down and freak out in front of me. And really, you know, it's so unfair for men. I feel for them because... There's so many, like, be a man toxic messages that they're sent in their lifetime. They're always programmed that they have to be the tough, the strong protector. And when he wasn't able to deliver, something changed in him. And that's the opposite of what we want to accomplish during an offsite, isn't it? Needless to say, when it came time to plan the next offsite, and it was slowly revealed that we were doing yet another Navy simulation exercise. But this time, it was a helicopter drowning simulation, not a ship. Members of the team put their foot down and they said, no way, not going through that again. So we opted for a more civilized team offsite in a meeting room with coffee cake, flip charts, and Sharpies. Bottom line, although extreme events make for great TV, they don't always make for great team building. If there's an existing lack of trust on a team, like an employee not pulling their weight or tension between two employees that don't get along, there's no amount of zip lining or bungee jumping or treetop trekking that is going to fix that lack of trust. And in most cases, it will actually make it worse. So that's my example of what not to do at a team offsite. Don't scare the crap out of your employees. Don't cause trauma or shame in them. Know your audience. If you're the leader, an experience might seem exciting for you, but is it going to land with everyone on your team? Are they going to be able to step up? Is it going to add value or cause more harm than good? Will it push them too far? Remember, you have to consider these things and know your audience and plan accordingly. So what exactly is a designed alliance? Well, leaders often prepare an agenda for what they want to accomplish during an offsite. A designed alliance sets guidelines for how everyone will show up and participate during the day when you're working together. It outlines the acceptable and the unacceptable behaviors. It works by setting expectations, creating an intention, and removing any ambiguity. It's an agreement, basically, about how everyone will show up and what we commit to. It's simple, and yet it's so 
powerful. One of the main reasons it's required is that some people are nervous about spending this much time getting up close and personal with their colleagues. And let's face it, some offsites can feel really vulnerable and push us out of our comfort zone. And in the days and weeks beforehand, we often make up all sorts of stories about what could happen and what are they going to make us do and what's it going to look like and how are we going to react? Are they going to make us feel safe enough to bring that ongoing issue up with a colleague so it can be addressed out in the open? Let's face it, it can be downright scary when we're preparing for an offsite. So when we address the scariness and the concerns that people have on their mind right at the start of the offset, it level sets the room and it allows us to get deeper into the good stuff, you know, the stuff that really moves the dial. Now, I know we throw around terms uh, like offsite and team development all the time. So I want to take a minute here and explain the different types of offsite so you can really pick what is right for you and what you are planning for your team. So I have five different categories or examples of offsites that I'm going to share with you. Okay. The first one that I'm going to name is extreme adventure, which is typically what I just described to you, this Navy simulation exercise. Other examples would be, you know, something intense like whitewater rafting, ropes courses, rock climbing. Basically, it's where people are physically pushed out of their comfort zone. And the goal here is to get people to bond through a shared physical experience of being pushed out of their comfort zone. Now, it works for some, but it does not work for everyone. And as I mentioned, it can backfire depending on who is on your team. All right, so that's example one. The second type of offsite is what I'm calling a group experience. And it's often also held offsite, but it's less intense. So it's something like bowling, wine tasting, an escape room, a cooking class, maybe axe throwing. Um, For convenience, some of these events can actually be held on site. You know, like if you're doing wine tasting, the sommelier might come out and see you. Or if you're doing charcuterie boards, those things can come to you. So it's a little bit more convenient. Now, the goal here is to get people out of their typical environment and learn more deeply about their colleagues. The advantages here are to create a fun bonding, right, to get to know your colleagues more on a personal level. And I actually approve all of these events, uh, not as a full-day thing, though. I think it's more like a half-day thing. Um, Or if you're looking for something to do in the evening to top up a daytime event, these activities are great, but they don't have enough substance on their own. So here's the third option. It is an offsite held in a meeting room, and I would call it a problem-solving offsite. So it's something like building a structure out of marshmallows and spaghetti sticks, or collectively uh, discovering a code to unlock a black box. These type of events are about getting people to know each other more deeply, but they're typically a very sterile environment. People don't have to open up. They can stay buttoned up. They don't have to share details about themselves. They still wear their corporate armor all day. They don't have to open up. They simply need to contribute their brain power and their problem solving to the group, which is what we do every day, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. So I'm not a huge fan of these, obviously. Uh, I don't believe that they add any value because they keep people in their comfort zone. And we don't really create space for change to actually happen. Now let's look at the fourth. The fourth type of offsite is what I would call strategic planning. 
And this is where you review what got done in the year and then you plan for the upcoming year of what you want to accomplish. Now, these are fantastic. They're critical. They have a very specific purpose and you're walking away with specific deliverables. My only observation here is that I like to sprinkle in also a little something that gets the team to bond so it's not just so sterile and people get a chance to know others at a deeper level because it will make the planning that much more valuable. Now, this leads us to the fifth option, and obviously my personal favorite, a facilitated team development. So this is what fast tracks intimacy and trust and develops the greatest value that will really give you results when you go back to the office. However, it is the most squishy and likely the hardest to pull off as a facilitator, which is why I'm sharing this designed alliance tool. If you do it at the beginning, you'll be golden and you won't have any problems at all. This style is where participants spend time together getting to know each other at a deeper level. They find out what makes each other tick. They find out who we really are and address real-time issues and have those vulnerable conversations, not just about who we are, but about what are the actual problems we are facing day to day. This is the space where you talk about being disappointed or you feel like there's major structural issues or gaps in the team. This is where you have those conversations. This is the time to capture all those thousands of moments throughout the year when we say, okay, let's take this offline and solve it later. But then you never actually do because you never have time or courage. So this is where the courage happens. This is where the growth happens. And in my humble opinion, this is the true heart of what an offsite should be. Then you can top it off with one of those other activities and go wine tasting or do something fun in the evenings. Okay, so let's recap this segment by explaining exactly what a designed alliance is. While leaders often prepare an agenda for what they want to accomplish during their offsite, a designed alliance actually sets the guidelines for how everyone will show up and participate during the day while you are there working together. It outlines the acceptable and unacceptable behaviors, and it works by setting expectations, creating an intention, and removing ambiguity. Also in this segment, I gave you five different examples and styles of offsites that you can organize on your own And obviously, I gave you my big picture opinion on how to have a facilitated team development because I think that's really where the magic happens. Now that you're bought into creating a designed alliance, how do you create one? Well, here's a five-step process for you to follow to create one with your team. So grab a marker or open the notepad on your phone and write down these five steps. Number one, you introduce the tool to your team at the start of the day. Now, this is important because people likely haven't done it before. So the concept might be new to them and you don't want them to have to feel vulnerable or confused. So give them some context, explain what the tool is or help them feel more comfortable throughout the day and understand why they're using it. Step number two. Invite everyone to make suggestions of what they do and don't want included in the designed alliance. Now, you may need to draw some people out here because they might not be volume contributors. So an option would be to go around at the start, you know, hand everyone some post-it notes and a pen 
um, and then give them a few minutes to think about ideas of what they want to add and contribute before you start writing things up on the flip chart. Now, this guarantees inclusion, especially for those introverts on your team, but it's totally your judgment call of whether you think this will add value or not. It might feel like it's a bit overkill. You know your team the best, and so you decide whether it's something that will add value or not. Step number three, get agreement from everyone that they will follow the guidelines in the Designed Alliance for the day. Once everyone has contributed ideas, ask for a show of hands. Who is willing to agree to this for the day? Make sure that everyone agrees. Step four, post it somewhere visible in the room and keep it handy in case you need to reference it throughout the day. And step five, add to the agreement as you need. If something new comes up, you can add it in. If someone violates one of the shared agreements, then you can reference it for context. So here's how that might look. I know in our designed alliance, we committed to one voice, but I keep hearing side conversations that seem to be distracting Sherry here from sharing her ideas. Can we refresh ourselves on having one voice and remember how important that is to follow that agreement today? And I want to share a quick note here about mindset and designed alliance and owning the room. Okay, this is a play it big thing. Sometimes... As I plan offsites with clients and I help them to create an agenda, they have a tiny little bit of hesitation around, ooh, I don't know if the team is ready to do that exercise, or I don't know if they'll actually participate in that one. And this is where I want to remind you that this is likely your saboteur at play here in your mind. This has nothing to do with your team. If you're taking people to a vulnerable place, You have to buckle into that vulnerability driver's seat and own it. Believe that they will participate and do personally what you need to do to model and permit that behavior. You need to bring your confidence and you need to believe in your team's capacity to handle a certain exercise because if you don't, they won't lean in and they won't show up. So I want to share my favorite metaphor about flight attendants. I know we all love the oxygen mask analogy when we talk about airplanes, but when it comes to leadership, I like this metaphor of hitting turbulence better. When turbulence happens and you're on the plane, what is the first thing you do as a passenger? Well, you look to the flight attendants, right? You, you look at them and you see, are they freaking out or not? And if they're calm, cool, and collected, then you have permission to be calm, cool, and collected. Now, this is exactly what it means to be a leader. People are going to look to you to decide how they should respond. So if you walk in that room and you own that designed alliance and you create it with confidence, you are setting the tone for the day and people will drink whatever Kool-Aid you serve up. If you're nervous, you're hesitant, you question yourself, they will pick up on that energy and they will match it. All right? So let's recap those five steps to creating a designed alliance. One. Introduce the tool to your team at the start of the day. Two, invite everyone to make suggestions of what they do and don't want included. Three, get agreement from everyone in the room that they will follow it for the day. Four, post it in the room. And five, add to the agreement as you need. So what exactly should we add in the Designed Alliance? Well, here's a few suggestions of what you might want to include. Honesty, Vegas rules, 
right? Meaning everything discussed in that room stays in the room. Don't share personal stories of de- or details that other people share. Ask anything. You know, there's no bad questions. Everyone has an equal voice, regardless of hierarchy. Be present and don't use your phones or laptops throughout the day. No judgment. Have a beginner's mind and be here to learn. Have fun. My personal favorite, one voice. Only one person gets to talk at the time, and we all give them our singular attention, our respect. Uh, Respect everyone in the room. Swearing is okay and or strongly encouraged. It's okay to be uncomfortable. As a facilitator, I always print out this list and I bring it with me just to make sure that I don't forget anything that I want to include that day. However, I don't just sit there and write out the list when I get there. I start by making sure the team names things that they want. And this is a more authentic and inclusive way to do it. And then as I feel like the suggestions, you know, are tapering off from people, then I might pull the list out of my pocket and, you know, make any additional suggestions of what I think might be important. An example would be authenticity. So you would say to them, hey, what about authenticity? Is that important to us? Is that something that we want in the room? And then let them decide, yes or no, whether they want to add it in. Okay, so lastly with this segment, I want to share some of the common questions that I get asked about a designed alliance. And some of these things, I'm sure, are floating around in your mind um, about how to create it and how this is used. All right, so here we go. Question number one. Can I reuse the designed alliance with my team? So, for example, let's say you have a rock star team, you're a great leader, and you do team sessions every quarter or maybe twice a year. You might feel like you could reuse the designed alliance each time, but chances are that there's new people on the team, there's new topics, new themes, and so it's important to really create something new and real time each time in the moment. Remember, every time you add a person to your team, you're essentially changing the system, the collective of people with a common goal or purpose. So create a new designed alliance. FAQ number two, who gets to add items to the designed alliance? Well, everyone in the room. There is no hierarchy, and I would encourage you to get everyone to contribute so that they feel involved. Question number three, do we add things that only we want Or do we add in things that we don't want? Well, you do both. For example, you would add honesty, but you might also add in no judgment. Question four, what if you don't agree with something that someone else wants to add in? Well, sometimes we also have a situation where two people will say things that conflict with each other, and this happens, and it's perfectly normal. This is where you get to earn your keep as a facilitator, and it's a great opportunity to have that dialogue and clarify what you really want in the room. So what you do is you just keep asking good, powerful coaching questions, and you will draw out really patiently and understand what it is that they're actually concerned about. Okay? Question five, can I add to the list as well if I'm the facilitator? Yes, of course. You're part of this team. So you can add things in as well. But I would make sure that you give everyone else the opportunity and add in your items at the end. I personally, like I said before, always add the one voice because I know as a facilitator, I get really distracted when there's side conversations. Often people aren't trying to be rude, 
Um, they just have an idea that they want to contribute or they want to like fist pump the conversation that's going on because they agree with what someone is saying. So we have to resist this urge though because it can be really distracting. Question six, can I do this digitally? Absolutely, yes. Simply follow all the steps that you did, put it on a shared screen or a canvas you know, somewhere and then people can share and distribute it throughout the session. Question seven, what if I don't resonate with a name designed alliance? Can I call it something different? Of course. Other options are working agreement, rules of engagement, team norms, lots of other options. Or you might come up with something creative on your own that you think would really be uh, resonant or land with your team. Okay, so let's wrap up this section with a recap of what you just learned. You now have a baseline of exactly what you can put in your design alliance. And you have a recap of seven of the most common questions that people might have before they create a design alliance, or maybe they were floating around in your curious mind about how you are going to create one at your next offsite. Okay, it's time to wrap up this episode on creating intimacy at your next team offsite. Aren't you just so excited about using this new Designed Alliance tool? I'm secretly over here hoping that even if you don't have an offsite planned, you're just now going to go out and plan one so that you can use this tool. I would love to see that happen. If that happens, let me know about it. And as always, if you are inspired by the content that you just learned today, please share it with a friend, a colleague, or out on social media. If you want to talk directly with me about coaching or about creating your own facilitated team offsite, you can book a one-on-one session with me either on LinkedIn or on Instagram at The Corporate Yogi. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast at my website, thecorporateyogi.com. I so look forward to seeing you in two weeks' time for another brilliant episode. And as always, remember that any fear or resistance that you hold inside of you is simply just your greatness in disguise.